I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. Here's the Liège, Baston Liège recap. Men and women's races, the key is in the name, starts in Liège, it's up and down. Dan Martin said on Twitter today, like 31 climbs out to Baston, back to Liège. But really, we said this last year, this is the hilly version of Milano San Remo. There's two <laughs> climbs where it doesn't nothing of note really happens before the first one of them. Cote de la Redoute, two Ks, nine percent. There's a plateau sort of region, and then Cote de la Roche au Faucon, 1.3 Ks, ten and a half percent before up and down little plateau again and a descent into the finish. But yeah, nothing really happens before there in the years past. And again today, Benji break, decent break went, and the Peloton was just controlling. Yeah, basically like that. And in that breakaway, a few riders that we know that had a good year so far, like Bruno Armirai, been relatively strong in breakaways. And next to that, we also have the likes of Monique together with a teammate of Lado Sudal. Some other riders in there as well, but those were the three most important ones in the breakaway. And nothing really happens, like you mentioned, until we got close towards those climbs, because yes, there was some action beforehand. We had some moves, but mainly a pretty hard crash as well. I think it was in the descent of the Col du Rossier, where what was it like half the peloton was down and i when looking at it from the front it just looked like such a high speed crash in a descent that you're instantly worried about the people that are on the ground when it comes to injuries and when i saw the helicopter view i was instantly worried about julian lafilippe who looked to be first invisible and then i saw something in a ditch on the right side of the road then bardet went to him and usually when you crash you go on your bike and you ride off but Bardet took the time to check up on Alaphilippe, so that's what made me worried about Alaphilippe's condition. Now, it turns out that he was in the uh, uh, car to the hospital not too much later than that and conscious, so uh, let's hope there's not too much when it comes to injuries for Julien Alaphilippe. When, when it comes to the rest of the riders, who else was involved? Was Fauverde now? Uh, maybe caught up, but he came back. He wasn't done hard. Peacock seemed to have been caught up. Uh, but yeah, it was a huge crash. I even wondered, are they going to neutralize this race? So I think the second favorite was Pagacha out. He didn't start because his mother-in-law passed away uh, in Slovenia this week. So he was a second favorite. And so then Alaphilippe's crashed out. So it's well against Bahrain with Remco, the lone quick stepper in a reduced group. But before uh, Redoute, we have this area where Bahrain victorious, they they didn't really put the pace on hard and people who could come back did seem to come back, like Pidcock, he did come back. Bahrain started sending riders up the road. Lander attacked about six times. They were trying to soften up the group. This didn't really do any damage to any favourites at all that I could see. Coos followed, 
uh, Lascano. It was just a domestique on domestique battle. I guess the idea was to try and bait Van Aert into chasing. They even then countered with Wout Poles, who rode in front of the group like 50 metres in front while they were in a headwind and they were freewheeling behind, achieving nothing. I really didn't understand this from Bahrain Benchy. I think they underrated turns, even after Flesh. They did not ride for turns like you would ride for a Valverde. I agree in that aspect. I agree that they definitely underrate turns. But on the other hand, I also see a team that has so many riders of a certain value that you have the ability to send someone forward and try and make it harder for the competition, making sure that they spend their domestiques early. So I'm not necessarily going to say that was awful. You shouldn't have done that at all. But the way it was done, it was intriguing because Landa was like, going and then looking back and going and then looking back. And I guess it also gave us a view on who still had the legs to do stuff for the other teams. Like the way Kuz responded to that, the way Allman responded to that for Yumbo meant that Wildfinard was not completely isolated yet, even with Benoit not being at this race, even with Vingegaard not being that great at this race. So that was intriguing to see. And some other teams like Movistar with Lascano trying to follow and so forth. We know that Fulverde also would like to have people stationed with everybody that attacks there and wants to make sure that in the end, it all comes down to him at that team. And when it comes to Mars, was also staying behind. So they were sending like the first Yari or whatever the word is for the fourth level of domestiques into uh, into the moves. <laughs> There's and... no word for that. It doesn't <laughs> exist. Well, okay. You know what the I mean. Tenants. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, after that, yeah, those, those moves of land, I never really got anywhere, to be honest, unless... You count the fact that Wild Pools decided to ride ahead of the peloton for about five minutes in the same way that he did at the Tour de France, I think. Uh, was it last year where he did that a few times? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what he <laughs> did then. So, yeah, it was similar. I didn't really get it. I thought they'd want to do hard lead out on Roche, send turns, small group, happy days. That didn't happen because we get to the base of Cote de la where it's supposed to kick off. But before we mention that, our show partners with Benji and I, all the last week, we've been using Zwift's meetup feature. It's actually really, really good. You add a friend on Zwift on the platform, and then you can just schedule your own ride together and ride in-game. You can communicate via text in the Zwift companion app or, of course, just via voice in Discord, which is what Benji and I typically do in a Discord channel. So that's really good for being able to ride with people who aren't in your physical location, or maybe you're too busy to get out on the bike or the weather's been too bad. So check out the Zwift meetup feature. If you want a free seven-day trial, you can go to Zwift.com through the link down below. Redoot, big bunch. No one's really done anything. The favorites are all fresh. Moritz said there's been a headwind. Anyone in the wheels had been shouldn't be more tired than they would in any other edition of Liège. And Marivan 7 off Benji, Pages Redoot, the Breakaway splits up. Armirel drops everyone. Uh, Van Hoek and Monike and Co. He's the last remnant. He will go over a dude solo. Incredibly strong this year, Armirel. Van Sevenon's pace to me, Benji, didn't seem nuclear. Yep. It just seemed to be a positioning pace and a pace to really... Well, no one else wanted to attack. I don't even know if it was strong enough to prevent attacks. I just think no one really wanted to. Yeah, I feel like it was indeed perhaps a tempo to try and control, but you're right, I do see possibilities there to still make moves. Nonetheless, I think 
The group had thinned out quite a bit from that crash earlier. Certain domestiques from other teams are gone. I think the point at which riders were trying to get ahead was, like Landa earlier on, not so steep climbs and perhaps even in the sections between climbs because that might offer opportunities for smaller groups to occur. But clearly Quickstep wanted to do something here and Von Sevenon kept that up basically to the top and it looked like nothing was going to happen. The breakaway was crumbling ahead. Admirai, the only rider left at the front, which is... That guy, quite literally, such a solid rider. It's like, I like Armirai. Armirai is cool. But in the peloton, they were setting up for an attack for someone, right? Yeah, we had a big group. No one really notable dropped that I could see. All the favorites there. Valverde turns. Hey, well, multiple Bahrain, Pools, Morich, uh, Kosnefra, Paulus. And this reminded me apparently stage one. At the end of Redoute, there is... Remco just behind Van Sevenant, right before the crest, and then it levels off. And it's two riders, Paulus and Kosnefra, in front of the top favorites, Wout, Valverde, Mas, there for Valverde, and turns. And they, uh, yeah, they're on Remco's wheel. No one was on Remco's wheel that was a top favorite. And he just does this huge explosion out of Van Sevenant's wheel, gets into sort of an aero position on the hoods. Paulus. I don't even really think ever got to his wheel. Kosnifra lost <laughs> Paulus' wheel very quickly. Paulus loses Remco's wheel and then turns. Here's the problem. Here's why you need to be on the wheel. Turns is looking. He's like, nah, I ain't, I'm not closing that 15 meters, 20 meters now. I'm not going to do it. And that's where the race was done. Right there. If it was Pagacha, if it was Philippe, if it was someone else, like if it was Wout, Bala and turns, snap, close it. And I think Remco was almost fortunate in that he's not actually been winning left, right, and center. And people are like, oh, well, my domestiques will close it back. The problem with that was we now enter a rolling terrain, perfect for Remco, and Bahrain put Mikel Lander on the front, who's attacked six times. And so Remco gets a 30-second gap whilst Bahrain have Lander on the front. I think, I think, I don't know where Thomas was, Benji, for Ineos, where obviously Shackman's not here for Bora, but Bora didn't have anyone to pace. Wout had no domestique, so I don't expect him to pace. But I think all these chasing teams completely underestimated the danger over Redoute and thought, ah, well, Carapaz got brought back last year. Again, literally the same scenario as San Sebastian 2019, where you went before we got to the final climb, Remco Evenepoel gets a gap together with Tom Scoins, and he's able to make it larger on the final climb in that San Sebastian. And it is because the other teams don't necessarily chase hard the initial moment that he's getting away. The gaps get larger and larger before they get to the climb. And on the climb itself in that Sebastian, the, the cooperation wasn't there because the leaders were looking at each other. And I was fearing for the peloton that this would be the exact same scenario from that point onwards because the Emco was storming forward. You said it, 30 seconds, catching Ursulin from the early breakaway. And then he drops him by hopping over a roundabout and getting a 10-meter gap and just building that out on Ursulin, which is there like, wait, mate, I didn't know you could ride over roundabouts, but he got dropped that way. And then eventually, Armilai also getting caught. And then it was a, a duo where one rider was doing all the moving and where Armirai was just hoping that he could hold on to the wheel of Remco versus the peloton where Landa was going off the front. At a certain point, he even went like from the front, 10 meters ahead of the peloton on a climb, which I was like, why are you doing that, mate? Why are you doing that? 
that doesn't work here. And then eventually they took over at Mohoric, and that's where it started turning a bit, right? Well, it stabilized. I wouldn't say it turned mm-hmm. like hugely. And this is the thing Remco would get dropped on Rochefoucauld, I'm pretty sure, on the steep section. And he'd get gapped to some degree by Turns and Co. And I guess the problem is if the gap is 35 seconds, which it was into the base of uh, Rochefoucauld, and then all the domestiques go, they can't help as much on Rochefoucauld. And he just does a tempo drops army rail. And it's basically, yeah, I think eventually turns did attack late. The group even, Benji, stalled a bit on Rochefoucauld on the earlier bits. It wasn't so aggressive right from the start. There was no huge lead out. But yeah, turns went. He looked very good. Vlasov looked good as well as Igita. Uh, I think Vlasov, a big attack. And that immediately put like 12, 15 seconds, maybe more into Remco. So this was all about the gap he built up before Rochefoucauld when he was doing a one-up TT against Mikel Lander, not a one-up TT, TT against 50 guys. And that's the story of this race. Vlasov, Aguita turns, get a small gap. They don't work. Mars brings Bala back. That then stalls the group. Wout's been dropped. He didn't have it today. But then he comes back on Boncel because the group's not working. And all of that not working means Remco's gone. Solo's away, knows he wins unless he crashes, starts celebrating 3Ks from the line, and an incredible win. Solo for Remco, even a pole, just attacked when everyone knew he should attack because he can't drop people on the uphill, can't win a sprint, has to go far. No Alaphilippe even as a threat behind. Almost. Saves, quick steps, classic season. It's what they really, really needed today. And yeah, his first, his biggest ever career win. I'd argue it's saving their cobble season, well, not cobble season, but <laughs> their preseason most likely quite well. I'd argue it's a very good result for quick step. Yes, Philippe fell out of the reins. That's a very bad thing for the team going forward. Hopefully, the injuries are not really going to influence the Tour de France, for example, for him. But when it comes to Evanwell pulling this off, this is very good for both. Quick steps team, but also for the future of Avenapool, because now, like, every single time this guy goes on the internet, he's getting shit on by both the traditional media and on social media by like half the people. And I'm so, so happy that he's able to prove them wrong in the race with his legs, because that's how you're supposed to do it. And he does it wonderfully. And it's also the same scenario that this was such a prediction, predictable scenario. Like, we said it multiple times Laradut is the place where Remco will attack. Now, I'm not going to lie, I might have expected it more on the climb than right at the top, despite it being obvious that he would do it at the top in hindsight. But the way those chases do the exact same thing as in San Sebastian, where they just underrate that rider going forward. And like you said, it's because perhaps they don't realize his strength anymore because he hasn't been able to achieve it in Walter level recently. But now the question lies, how are we going to look at the sprint for a second? Because Wout Fanat is in that second group and... Ooh, can Belgium make this a 1-2? Well, not just a 1-2. Vlasov had counted on the flat. He had a Gita in the group. A lovely move from Bora. And Movistar were fucking it up further. <laughs> they had two in the group. And you have to send one guy if the guy from the other team with two in the group attack. They don't. They then actually don't pull with Mass. And Danny Martinez said, what are you doing? You have Valverde here. Wout's off the back. What are you doing? 
And that lets Wout come back. We didn't really see much of it. They eventually catch Vlasov, and it's a huge group, like the biggest group we've seen going into the finish in Liège. Well, I guess it's group two, uh, like 14, 15 riders almost, uh, 13 riders. Wout sort of lead. No, Israel lead out the sprint, uh, which wasn't probably a good idea <laughs> at all. They had full sang and woods and they need points desperately and they both finished 10th and 13th in the end. Uh, and Wout comes out, he goes early because he doesn't want to get boxed in. Aguita's in his wheel and it's actually Quinton Hermans. I hadn't seen him in the group, didn't even know how he got back. He comes second. Everyone was like, what? Where did Quinton Hermans come from? Which I think suggests how slowly they'd finesse after they call Vlasov. And actually, Wout comes third, but I think Igita might have done him if Wout hadn't deviated to the right and closed off uh, Igita to the barriers. Martinez actually ends up fourth. So big, big win for Remco, 48 seconds. I'll round out the top 10, rather. So Evanipol, Hermans, Van Aert, Martinez, Igita turns, who I think was very, very strong on Roche. Valverde, seventh. Paulus, eighth. Hirschi, ninth. Woods 10th, Haig was riding as Domestique 11th, actually I think his best level for quite a while. He looked very good today, Mass 12th, Full Sang 13th, Vlasov uh, 14th. So, yeah, any who's losing sleep tonight, Benji? I think it's Bahrain and Dylan Turns. Yeah, I think Bahrain's definitely losing sleep over this and they will look at this race scenario and try and figure out where they lost it and I think the chase is certainly a part of that. I think the attack of pools was useless as well. I do think that early attack of Landa could be in the race as a decent strategy to figure out stuff, but the pools attack was definitely not necessary in this race and it could have played a role later perhaps, but I want to highlight the one, two, three of Belgium in this race because please cancel my deportation process, Belgium. I don't want to leave this country. It's the first time since 1976, according to this Twitter user called Joflu, and we all know that once something on Twitter, it is right. So I'm believing this person. And that's big. That's big. That's awesome. It's been like in the last 10 years, only Gilbert was able to podium this race when he won it. So it's pretty cool to see. Now the question lies, and I'm going to throw this one at you as well. Who do you think should lead the Belgium team in Wollongong based on this race? <laughs> oh, simple. You you do the same strategy as what happened today. Remco early attack, Wout Marks moves behind and then is a threat for the sprint. Quinten like they should have done last year. Does Sven, <laughs> does Sven know this? Does Sven van Torenhout know this? Is he, does he watch Liège, that guy? I, I, mean, I would guess so, but based on last year's tactics, he might not have watched every race. They just do repeat this strategy and you got your best chance. Like it's not it's not complicated. You got Dylan Turns as well as another option. Uh, I think Van Sevenot's pacing on Redoute will probably go underrated. It yep. was important in that it meant domestiques couldn't quickly react. And it was favourites and leaders who were like, mm, do I burn a match here chasing Remco? Nah, I'll risk it for the biscuit. And later Von Sevenand also played a big role in the chase oh, when blocking. it comes to blocking because at a certain point he was in second wheel behind yeah, the Bahrain rider. He was good. Then he started fighting with Higita over something that Von Sevenand caused, in my personal opinion, even though we know that Higita is not the best steering person either. I'd argue that he, the shoulder was mainly given by Von Sevenand there. But just annoy, annoying that chasing group just betters the chances of the rider up front, and that's very cool to see. But I also want to shine a light on Philip Schulberg, who wrote his last uh, LBL this year based on his alleged retirement at the end of the year. And it was so awesome to see the moment where he was riding up 
bloody dude. I swear the dude was crying in his glasses. Like, 100%. He can't not have cried there. I mean, he was getting dropped on Redu. I don't know if that was bittersweet. Perhaps um, that's the reason you were crying. Like, <laughs> Yeah, if I was Lotto, Lotto's account keeper paying him, I would have been crying um, seeing that. Not a great day for them. But yeah, Gilbert and Valverde as well. Not the result he would have wanted. I don't think, yeah, he wasn't good in that sprint either. Um, on Avonapol, though, he said it's been a difficult 15, uh, 1.5 years, 18 months since his crash in Lombardia 2020. Coming back from that, he even said in an interview I saw and Occam's Razor, remember when we had that clip, Benji, about why does Remco keep getting dropped on really steep gradients? Turns yeah. out in Valencia, Yana, he was 66 kilos. He raced in the Giro last year at 60.5. So, again, this win is incredible. This race suits him a lot. He played it perfectly. And, yeah, I've been a Remco sort of booster for since 2019. But that sort of information is still concerning. It's like, why is your weight yo-yoing 10%? It's less than that now. Does this mean that he's going to win the Welter? I mean, I'm pretty bullish on him at the Vuelta, uh, but not necessarily. It's just like this suits Lee, this suits well, but it doesn't mean he can win the Tour de France as well. I still think, though, it's good to see. I think it's good for cycling that we have multiple hype superstars winning things. Like, it's better for the sport that Remco wins this, Pog wins that, Wout wins something, Matthew Van Der Poel wins Flanders, and we have the Aaron Brew winning uh, a Grand Camino stage maybe <laughs> next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's like, I'm not going to lie, it's going to be better for my video that I do later tonight, <laughs> Remco Sola, than Quinton Herdeman's winning from a bunch sprint. Like, let's be honest. Imagine. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck. I'd find a way. I would find a way to hype it up. But, yeah, I think... Remco silenced a lot of the haters today, Benji. Yeah, certainly. And it's always cool to see that. And perhaps it might even fuel other haters into hating him even more. And that's what happens on the internet. Once you get like better, there's also people that might hate you more for it. But I think he shouldn't care about it. He's performing and that's the most important part. And people that support him are supporting him. And that counts for every single other rider. Pogacar had haters when he was winning everything a month ago, for example. And then he started losing and he's suddenly uh, not as hated as he was a month ago. It's such a wave of events in these last few months when it comes to riders getting hated and non-hated. But well, I don't care. Him, yeah, like If you win a lot, you, you get haters. That's just how it is. Uh, Renko was the curious one because he wasn't winning a lot of races and got a lot of haters. That was what was weird. Um, before we move on to the women's race, I have a message. Hear me. Quickstep press officer, Patrick Lefebvre, Sudal Quickstep are not paying you a lot of money for Renko not to be a superstar. I demand give him access back to his Twitter account yes. now. He's won a monument. I am sick of seeing these scripted fucking tweets. Give him access back. I want to see the tweets. The Strava titles are all we have at the moment where he's saying, can't wait for uh, Bolognese, a play on words for his girlfriend's name. No, I want a moto demurred tweets. I want him pulling a phone out of his pocket while he's solo tweeting a video. Okay? Thank you, Quickstep. If you could sort that out, that'd be great. Anyway, that was Liège men's... Uh, Quick step win again after Jungles uh, a few years ago. 
the women's race, Liège-Bastogne-Liège, shorter, 142 kilometres, but with the same finale, uh, Cote de la Redoute and Rochefort-Faucon in the plateau and descent to the finish. Annemiek van Vleut, the big, big favourite for this race. She has Sierra with her, Sarah Martin. I think she she's won it before, maybe the second edition. Last year, Van der Breggen set up Vollering to win a reduced group sprint. She's not here. There's Mulman, Royser, Vollering uh, for SD Works. There's Cavalli. Could she do the triple? She won. What she win? Amstel, Flesh. She's here with a very, very strong team of Brown and Chapman. The breakaway went, Benji, once again, everyone represented, except it was UAE missing out today, not FDJ. Yeah, certainly. And it's a strong group with Marlon Reuser in there. That's the rider we spoke about in the preview of SD Works at the start of the year that could perhaps replace the likes of an Anna van der Breggen scenario where she tries to control it for Vollering. But in all honesty, that her having been in that breakaway is a good move for SD Works and... Yes, like you said, plenty of teams involved. We've got Sarah Martin for Movistar, Leah Thomas for Trek Sigafredo, Soraya Paladin for Canyon Sram. We've got Evita Music for FDG, who looks to be stronger and stronger since her recovery of her knee surgery, I think, at the start of the year. So she's looking better and better and might actually find for the top French rider position at the Tour de France. Well, who knows? Then we've got Amanda Spratt, who looks to be better and better as well this year. Kirchman for DSM and Clara Hansinger for Tipco EF, whatever the order of that name is, also in this breakaway. Like you mentioned, UAE missing and also Yumbo. They were both trying to kind of control the gap behind. A minute plus was the gap. And the interesting aspect there to me was that UAE was not necessarily trying to close it down at a certain point because they decided to attack with their front rider in their train. And that rider just started bridging it alone with a gap of one minute plus to that breakaway. Who in their right mind thinks they can close down a gap of one minute plus alone? I don't know. And the more curious things happen at the base of Redoute, like Mulman, Benji. Have you, I've <laughs> thought about this in the hours since. Why did Mulman do a lead out at the base of Redoute with Vollering, not Vollering, Vollering not in her wheel, Van Vlerten in her wheel? And like, I get it. She attacked, she did have a two, three meter gap off the wheel at the base for a, for a time, but then Van Vleuten closed it and she kept pacing and there was a headwind as well and Vollering was trying to move up in the wind. Those two, this gave me, Benji, the same vibes, the entirety of the finale of this as Kopecky, Chantal Vanderbilt, Black, Roubaix. Yeah, and the added part there is that Reuser was in that front group for for that team in La Redoute as well. So they're basically doing what you are saying but they're also chasing Royster, who is a very good rider to have in the front group as a benefit as a satellite rider or something. So this would be the scenario where you try and force the other teams to be closing down things. And if you are Volring and Molman, in my eyes, you want this climb to be relatively slow because you want to save as much energy as possible for the moment that Van Vleuten gets to decide when she hammers it up one of these climbs. And she had made a, an earlier move before we got to a lot of dude, but a lot of dude itself, she she went and started hammering it once Molman was done at the front and she immediately got a solid group near the front already going. And the intriguing part is that she keeps up that attack and we know that typical von Vleuten attack is not going to last for five seconds. It's going to last until we get to the damn top of this climb. And she's able to get most of the riders from the breakaway back with Mormon and Volring trying to follow 
with the likes of a uh, Cavalli also trying to follow there. And they are unable to get that wheel because Van Vleuten is just strong at that point and is able to get a gap on the others. And she starts crawling back the one leftover rider ahead, which is the rider that Moman was starting to chase earlier, her teammate, Breusser, who was the strongest rider in the breakaway. So this all did not make sense for SD Works in my eyes. But from that scenario onwards, we've got two riders ahead. And it's, well, first of all, Van Vleuten, who's looking good at the moment. But the problem is she's with Reuser, and Reuser's never going to ride with her to the next climb, Rochefoucauld, when in the chasing group behind, they've got two teammates, which is Molman and Volring. They might not always ride like teammates, but on paper, they've got the same shirt on. So that's why Reuser was sitting up in the wheel. What do you think of the situation then? Well, yeah, it, Van Vleuten didn't commit to it. There was a headwind. So she's like, hmm, I've done... A pretty hard effort on Redoute. She said afterwards she likes two hard efforts in the endurance and a longer race than one. She just dropped Vollering and Mulman easily off the wheel and they're the big threats. Cavalli she dropped as well. And so she's like, I can pull for 20 minutes into a headwind on the flat whilst multiple domestiques chase me like Evita Muzic or I can just sit up, wait, and Sierra's in the group too and then just go again on Rochefoucauld. And that's exactly what she did. Problem was, very strong rider countered. FDJ had Grace Brown. She immediately countered in that carapace zone, got a good gap of 20 to 25 seconds, and there was Cavalli, Muzic still in the group. AVV, though, did not have to pace. She had Sierra, I think. SD Works put Royster on the front. This reminded me a lot of Quickstep in Tour of Flanders when Asgren got ruined by on a climb on one of the climbs and then they came back and then they just started pacing again it's like you you know that you're not the ones here right you know that you're leading avv to a certain victory and that's pretty much exactly what happened they brought brown back to like 15 seconds 18 seconds on rush the gap would tumble on there if once they launched and yeah nuviodoma lippet came back immediately base of rush AVV launches. She has Mormon in the wheel for a while, but she just did, like on the Murder Wee, just the same pace, hard for like two minutes and dropped first following. Then Longa Borghini, then Mulman gets to Brown, drops her, and goes clear over Rochefoucauld. But it wasn't, I thought it was over. Actually, I'm going to say it wasn't over, but I thought it was over. But maybe there is a world where it wasn't. For example, <laughs> Last year, we did not have two teams with two teammates in the group. Mullen, Vollering, FD Works, FDJ have Cavalli and Brown. They just didn't get organized, Benji. I didn't know what the plan was, whether they wanted to go for a sprint. They were sort of dilly-dallying. What would you have done if you were those teams? Because you can't ask Brown to pull on Boncells. You'll go backwards. It's like Lander chasing Remco on the flat. Should Mullen have pulled Boncells or Vollering? I'd argue that once we look at who's the better sprinter of the two, then Volring is the better sprinter. So you can't have a scenario where Molman gets to Van Vleuten because she's likely going to get beaten by Van Vleuten in the sprint anyway. So that's not a scenario you're looking for. You don't want Volring to get dropped as well because you don't want Cavalli to beat Molman at the end, for example. You don't want... Brown is most likely not the rider that will hold on the best on Boncel. You're right in that. So for FDG, we would see Brown... And for SD Works, Mormon doing some pacing, but it looked like Mormon was stronger than Volring on the climb on Bonsell. That left a gap between Mormon and Volring. And yeah, 
obviously she waited then again and eventually they went together again but it was clear that there was not that choice where Volring was the clear leader or Molman was the clear leader because when they reached the top of that Boncel climb the gap was larger than the 12 seconds they had on Rochefoucauld and then we also saw the fact that the group was getting even worse when it comes to cooperation where at a certain point Volring skips a turn and then she rides like two turns in a row then she skips a turn again then we have Molman doing quite a bit as well when it comes to Brown obviously the the bigger engine in this group once she came back after Boncel or was even hanging on towards the end of Boncel. She was super strong. She even got the gap down a bit at a certain point, but she gone through that alone. And Cavalli also skipped a turn at some point. And once those riders are skipping turns, what is Longa Borghini supposed to do? She's got no teammates there. So if you're Longa Borghini, you could work and therefore not necessarily have an easy chance of beating Volring and the likes of Cavalli in the sprint there. You could try and force an attack, but the other teams have riders to control that. It's so intriguing to look at this from the scenario of Longoborghini. What would you have done if you were Longoborghini? I think collaborating when everyone was sort of working was is fine. Uh, but as you said, once you see Cavalli sitting on, you're like, well, no, I'm not going to pull in you if you have a teammate in here and you're not going to pull as well. That's not what's happening. And so that meant the death knell for that group. And the gap went from 15 at its smallest to 25 to 40 seconds with AVV soling away for her second Liège Baston Liège win. Probably my first correct prediction of the season. And it <laughs> took probably a $1.25 <laughs> winner to do it. The heavy favorite Van Vleuten winning as we expected, uh, going clear on Rochefoucauld. And Grace Brown, the sprint was even more curious behind with Cavalli leading out. That Brown wasn't in the wheel, she was in the wind. And then Mulman started sprinting, but Vollering wasn't in, in her wheel. And then Vollering closed Mulman, and then Grace Brown got the draft from both the SD Works riders and beat both in the sprint, with Vollering coming third, Mulman fourth, Longoborghini fifth, Cavalli sixth, Sierra Lippert, Nivia Damas Spratt rounding up the top 10. So two Movistar in the top 10, as well as obviously the win. But yeah, a bit curious from uh, SD Works, whether that will be, I don't know, Benji. Tour de France Fermerwerk Zwift, they're going to need to sort out what the priorities are. Is it Capecchi stages and yellow for as long as possible? Is it Mulman GC, a great pure climber? Is it Vollering GC? Because right now, I see them both going for their own opportunities. Yeah, it's a similar scenario to what we spoke about uh, last year and I think at the start of the year as well when it comes to the leadership of FDG between Cavalli and uh, Utrup Ludwig that's a similar scenario there's no clear difference between them on the longer mountains and therefore it's difficult to choose a rider there and we don't have necessarily too many longer mountains in the year to decide who is the leader as well so it's a bit of a guess for certain teams as well going into the Tour de France Femme, what will happen in that final weekend of that race and like you mentioned it's an intriguing quest for them to figure that out or do you think this might be a DS issue because the DS that was in the car today was also the DS that was in the car in Paris-Roubaix-Fam. Perhaps it's a DS issue where that person is not necessarily the most tactical mastermind. Vanderbrecher. Uh, I think uh, it was Stun or something or Dunny. Dunny Stun. I, I don't reckon it is. I don't, mm-hmm. I reckon they know the play. I think it's the riders like think Mulman's coming to the end of her career mm-hmm. and Benji she's stronger than Vollering on both these climbs 
she could have dropped her twice, just about. Well, she dropped her on both. Well, no, that's not true. But she was strong, and it's not clear that Follering's that much stronger than her. And then in the sprint, she was almost faster. And she's coming to the end of her career. Vollering is younger, won this race last year, but as I said in the preview, it was on, in my view, largely the coattails of Anna Vanderbrecher. But she thinks, well, I'm I'm the woman, I'm the king, of, the queen of this team. And then there's Kopecky in the races, and it's a similar dynamic with Vanderbrook Black, who was going to retire, and then she's like, I'm so good, I'll just keep going. Uh, but she wants her chances. I don't know if you can tell those riders, don't go for your own opportunities. Maybe they'll just... Because especially if you're Mormon, you're like, well, Volling's not going to win anyway. She's not looked that good. So it's really difficult. I don't know. What mm-hmm. would you do for their tour? How would you approach it? I'd go all in on Kopecky. Oh, well, for the first stages, sure. And definitely that wide road section uh, stage as well. But a team like SD Works can't go to the TDFF and just say, okay, we're not going to go for GC. We're going to go all out for Kopecky. They have to have options there. And I do believe that with Molmon and with Volring, you can't deny that there's still an option for the podium there, and they can still podium the TDFF, even if Von Vleuten dominates that entire race. So I wouldn't say go all out for Kopecky and forget about GCI. I do still see a very possible scenario where they end up on the podium with one of their two riders. Like, the climbing of Volring always kind of surprised on longer climbs. Remember on Burgos last year on Laguna's Denial, where she was stronger than I expected, that she was almost near von der Breggen towards the end of that climb. I wasn't expecting that going into that race, and yeah, there's going to be competition, but I don't believe they should just give up on GC. They should just make a, like, ideally there's some preparation race in the coming weeks, perhaps an Itsuya or something, where they can test something out between those riders and figure out who the actual, like, best climber is, something like that. Because it's very difficult to guess on the longer climbs who of the two might actually make it. Because on paper, I'd say Molmon, but when it comes to getting towards that final week of the Tour de France, you never know that Volring might actually come out on top on the longer climbs. And without a hierarchy on leadership or without figuring out what your plan is beforehand, it's always going to go bad. And it also depends on how you adapt during the race. Because you can say at the start of the Tour de France Femme, okay, we're going to play on two horses right now. We're going to bet on two horses for the initial part. And then we'll see who folds first. And well, they probably have to. Because you can't yeah. beat AVV head-to-head. So they have yeah, to. exactly. And next to that, it depends on how that race eventually goes, who ends up as the leader of that team. And you might get a scenario, like you said, where Mormon might not want to ride completely for Volering's GC once she's in the last part of her career. And I understand that from Mormon's perspective, but you're also riding for a team. And I'd argue that while her personal uh, importances are important to her, they might not be towards the team and they might not be good for the team as well. And it goes the other way around as well. It's still a team sport. And I understand that riders have individual demands, but those should not be put above the demands of the team. I agree. Uh, I'm just very, very high on Kopecky, and I think they should just full send that Chemin Blanc stage and see what comes out in the wash before they get to the high mountains <laughs> because AVV in the high mountains is going to be absolutely lethal. We haven't talked enough about her, but unreal season. <laughs> like, Omlu first, Strata second. Only Kopecky could beat her. Uh, Ronde van Vlaanderen second. Amstel fourth. Kopecky beat her in Tour of Flanders. Flesh second. Liege first. She has... 
According to this, a gap until the Giro Rosa, which she's doing in June, although there are some Spanish World Tour stage races coming up, which Benji mentioned that it'd be good to see how these riders are climbing. But, yeah, AVV, how old is she? Turning 40 this year, just incredible um, level. She said on Strava she did her best ever five-minute power, which means she could just literally keep doing this for years and years and years. She's that good at the moment. And the Movistar team is getting better and better around her. Sierra, as I mentioned, a huge addition for that team. But, yeah, incredible the age. Any, any last thoughts, Benji? I do want to mention when it comes to Van Vleuten, I think after Flesh, there were some people on the internet saying, oh, Van Vleuten seems to be almost washed. She's, uh, she's near the end. She's near the end. But that clearly isn't the case. And I think that people just overrated her punchy ability in the same way that with the men's people overrated the punchy ability of Pogacar for Flesh as well. Yes, Van Vleuten has hadn't gotten proper results in, in that race in Flesh and so forth. But she's always, in the last couple of years, definitely been the rider that needed the longer efforts to try and build out gaps and that makes it harder to do so on the smaller climbs in Amstel and Fletch for example and I think the longer climbs in today's race will really the key to delivering her ability to dropping riders and like we mentioned Tour de France Fun Mountain Stages do follow that up and do promise a lot of fun racing for us but just wanted to uh pop that in the podcast here. Looking forward to it lots of exciting stuff coming up we have Romandy at uh, next week and then Benji and I are heading to Budapest in like scary Benji I think eight days just over a week I am completely unprepared so <laughs> Me <too>. yeah <laughs> we'll be doing let us know if anyone else is going uh we'll be watching the first two stages the uh the Grande Partenza which goes from Budapest and then the TT is all around Budapest, and then we won't see the third stage. Well, I won't. At least Benji can if he wants to, which is out of Peloton Fured, about 100Ks away. Yeah, and I want to add that if you want a question to be asked, because we're going to do a Q&A once uh, yes. we get to Hungary, then drop it below in the comment section on YouTube or throw it at us on Twitter. Or, yeah, that's probably the two ways that we'll do it. We don't have, like, a, a Dove system that you can send like does with little letters to us yet so we're gonna have to do it with twitter and youtube comment sections for now if you have questions for us throw it at us and we'll try and respond as many good ones as possible on that podcast as well once we get into budapest and i'm looking forward to it can't wait been a big couple of months and uh it'll be nice to get out of the house and we'll have some good content not just the preview and recaps coming for you on lrcp but thanks as always for listening and of course for swift who are making that trip to budapest possible and we'll see you with romandy tomorrow i think ciao